Hello and welcome to Start Worrying Details to Follow, a podcast about radical new ideas and the future of democracy in this age of technological disruption and exploding inequalities. My name is Karin Pettersson. I'm doing the podcast with Georg Dietz of Der Spiegel. He is not here for the intro, but he is with us for the conversation that we are having in this podcast with uh, journalism professor Jay Rosen. Jay Rosen is a uh, professor at New York University. He authors the Press Think blog um, that he has been writing for a long time, an influential voice in anything related to journalism, ethics, and the future of the media. Jay Rosen has recently spent a few months in Germany studying the difference between American and European journalism. And his very interesting thoughts have been published uh, online in an article called Letter to the German Press that I strongly recommend that you read. We talked about the challenges to journalism in this time of the rise of the tech giants and the rise of the radical right, creating stronger and stronger counter public spheres where liberal democracy is being challenged in new ways and maybe even more importantly how journalism we talked about how journalism should respond and adapt and adjust to this new environment jay rosen thank you for being on the podcast it's my pleasure we meet you in berlin mm-hmm. the last day of your fellowship fellowship Richard von Weizsäcker Fellowship. Yeah, I'm not, gonna, that, I'm not going to repeat that. That <laughs> German. And you've aspect. been in um, Europe over the summer studying German journalism. Mm-hmm. But your background is in the US and you've been studying American journalism for decades and yes. writing about it. Uh, so there's a lot of topics to cover, but could you give a quick summary of the differences between uh, the discourse around journalism in Germany and and Mm. in the US and what your main findings are? Mm. Well, one difference is that Germany is a few years behind some of the changes in the US. For example, um, the print newspaper is stronger here than in the US. The uh, same forces are um, eating away at print journalism, but um, something about Germany has allowed the print newspaper to hang on uh, in a more uh, tenacious way. Um, also, ch- changes that I think of as sort of transparency practices in journalism, like um, listening to readers a lot, <laughs> explaining what you're doing, uh, corrections, um, ombudsman public editors, um, and uh, the the shift in attitude where you are able to say, if you don't believe us, look for yourself. Here's the data. Here's the uh, interviews we did. Here, here's also explaining how journalism works. All these kinds of things, which are rising importance in journalism, are it's not that they're absent here, but they're a little bit behind. Um, do you see it as a timeline where they will catch up eventually? Will have to catch up. I think up they will. I think they are mm. now. Um, if I had to predict, I would. I would say the gap will disappear eventually. Mm. Um, so those things, and then, in a more substantial, foundational way, um, 
There are certain ideas about the press in Germany, uh, I found, that don't exist in the United States. Um, so, for example, um, well, I, I came up with five um, pillars of German press think uh, that I uh, wrote about as a... And press think, by that you mean the kind of... Uh group thing but within journalism yes or, yeah. it means the common sense ideas yeah. that exist within journalism but also that mm. the society has about journalism norms and norms assumptions mm. um, the things that hold the profession together yeah um, and things that you would absorb just by being a German mm. journalist mm. so um, so that's what I was looking for and, and I did a lot of interviews about that um, and I came up with five pillars of German press think, which is not to say that this is all of it, but that these are like foundations. So the first was the same as in the U.S. freedom of the press, uh, which developed in a similar way. It's, it's in the Constitution, and then key court decisions uh, have made it real. Same thing in the U.S. The second pillar of German press think is that some things are more important than the right to publish, like the right to privacy and mm. victims' rights, and things like um, not cooperating with Holocaust denial. Those sorts of things in the U.S., you'd run right into the First Amendment, and you could never stop somebody from doing them. But in Germany, certain things are more important than, mm. than um, the right to publish. The third element of German press, I think, is that, public, that broadcasting is too powerful, too influential to be left to either the market or the state. And that's why you have this very strong public broadcasting system, as you do in other democracies in Europe. Mm. Um, and it's, um, it's supposed to be um, not only between the market and the state, but it's not supposed to be controlled by the powers that be in Berlin. Uh, and so it's built up through regional broadcasters. The ARD, the, the big major network in in Germany actually means association of German broadcasters. So it's like a collection of broadcasters rather than being one-fourth. So that's interesting. Um, and the, the, the dedication to um, public broadcasting is, um, is nailed down by the 1750 euros a month that every home and business and institution has to pay hmm. to keep that alive. So that's a big difference yeah. between the U.S. and Germany. Germany spends over $100 per person on public broadcasting. In the U.S. is about five. <laughs> um, the fourth pillar of German press, I think, was the most interesting one that I found and worth talking about in this podcast. Um, it's that German journalists absorb, uh, and the news and the media in Germany absorbs a duty to protect minority rights, prevent extremes of the left and the right from overtaking the public sphere, and defending, upholding post-war German Republic anchored in Europe. Those are basic beliefs that German journalists, I think, um, uphold. Now, it would also be the case that others in Germany would have the responsibility of upholding those values as well, but still, It's striking to me as an outsider that this is part of how German journalism thinks. And I've tested this out with lots of German journalists, so I know there's something to it. Um, and then the fifth pillar um, is somewhat in tension with that, which is 
German journalists talk a lot about objectivity and um, detachment and uh, don't become a part of any cause even if it's a good one if you know what I'm talking about famous saying in, uh, in German journalism uh, and that uh, part of German press think is really imported uh, in many ways from America and from what people here call Anglo-Saxon journalism uh, but it has um, become part of German press think and um, there are lots of debates about that. So those are the five main things that I found uh, when I did my interviews. Um, and I think it makes for an interesting comparison with the U.S. I'm kind of curious as being one of the subjects that uh, you talk about um, in some ways sort of as a, as a German journalist. You describe it quite sort of objectively or sort of sympathetically, but it's actually a system under threat, yes. I guess. So um, it's a system that's facing the same challenges in different ways than, than the U.S. And yes. I think you're right. So it's always there's always a time lag. I think Sweden's actually in between U.S. and Germany. Sweden's always a little technologically more advanced um, in Twitter use or specifically some of the issues. Yeah, that no, we we're much would, would ahead talk though. about. So, <laughs> so yeah, I guess I guess much ahead of, of Germany. So, yeah. but but the but the level of threat from. Uh, Anti-elitist yeah. sentiments that is very much a part of um, totally uh, like German press uh, yes the I landscape see. of German press how 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 do you see that so I mean there's this the the term that's really imported from the Weimar Republic Lügenpresse so yep. there's this universal distrust against the system how did you um, how would you describe what you saw here of, of that fear which is in the system I think the system is quite quite paralyzed and yeah. feel sometimes by, by that fear um, and how, how is it compared to, to, to the US or other countries that you might have studied? Well, I spent a lot of time talking to people in Germany about that. Um, it was probably the, uh, the number one sort of um, preoccupation of people here and of course it's a major concern of mine since We have a more extreme situation in the U.S., and I've written a lot about press, uh, press think, and Donald Trump, and how the American press is coping with that situation. Um, so I think this is a complex subject. There's a there's a lot going on. Um, w one thing that's going on is that is that there's a counter public sphere which has been building for a long time in the far right. And my sense is, I may be wrong, but my sense is that there were some people in Germany who were alert to that, but, but most of the journalists didn't think that's really that important. They didn't see it as something that they should worry about. Uh, people like Netzpolitik did, you know, bloggers did, people attuned to the internet, an internet culture might have, but your average journalist probably thought these were just crazy people and there's nothing important there. But... What it, that really is, is the beginning of an alternative information system um, that at least some people in Germany are already living in, where um, their, their news comes from the extreme right wing, and, and, they, and they regard what's, what's published in the mainstream news media as uh, fake, a Lugenpress, a lion press. A more serious, uh, more subtle critique that um, 
uh, AFD, Alternative for Germany, the far-right party that has about uh, 12 to 15 percent in Parliament, uh, makes, is contained in a different word that I learned when I came here, Systempresse, mm. which is sort of uh, translates as maybe regime press. Establishment press. Yeah, no, establish- it's the system. So it's yeah. The, yeah, the man. Yeah, you're sort of in league with yeah. the man. Yeah. That's one way yeah. of saying it. Yeah. Um, and in one one part of it is kind of extreme, where they where they sort of try to say that journalists are getting their orders from Merkel. You know, like Merkel calls you up and tells you what to write, right? Mm. Which is obviously crude and and uh, and sort of paranoid. But on the other hand. Um, there is a sense in which German journalists are, yes, upholding the system. That, that's, that's actually part of their press think, as I said. Um, so that's a harder thing for them to counter. So that's going on. Um, and then you have the beginning of that, um, that rage at uh, elites, including journalists, start to influence the more mainstream parties. Mm. And that's something to definitely watch. Like, here's a little example that, that will uh, show what I mean. While I was here, the German interior minister, who's the head of the CSU, partner with the CDU uh, in Bavaria, um, started to challenge Merkel at one point. And this became a big story for a few weeks um, because it looked like maybe the two parties would split, which would be an historic thing, yeah. uh, or Merkel's government would fall, which would certainly be a major thing. And um, then some people even said, you know, if that happens, maybe Europe will kind of like start to break up. And there was all this like hysteria around this. Mm. Um, and the political journalists did what you would expect. They reported on maneuvering behind the scenes. They speculated on what the minister really wants. Uh, how far is he going to take this? Uh, you know, what could happen? Uh, and in the midst of that, the interior minister, a conventional politician part of the government, says um, fake news is not just something that other countries, we have it here. And he's describing ordinary political coverage as mm. fake news. Now, I thought that was something German journalists should have said, whoa, wait a second. You, you can say whatever you want about our coverage, but you're not going to seriously try to say that we're making this up. That's, that's what fake news means. Fake news means we're, it's synthetic. We're, we're, we're concocting it. You're not going to actually try and get away with that. They should have pushed back. They should have asked colleagues, do you go along with this fake news? They didn't, but they didn't. They sort, of, they sort of like, they were amused by it or they just thought maybe it was a bit pathetic. I'm not sure what their attitude was, but... From Is me. it complacency? Or well, well, you. No, people picked it up. I mean, people people reacted to it, that statement uh, aggressively, but maybe mo- mostly on Twitter, so if not institutionally. I don't know. So people who complained. Um, as uh, the there was should have. I mean, that, that is, as you say, that is a taboo that, um, that there was, there was uh, um, I felt it was a warning sign yeah. that should have been taken more seriously. Yeah. So, so maybe, you know, maybe German journalists don't think this was happening in the United States could happen in Germany. Some people did say that to me. Well, even Americans didn't think that what happens in the U.S. Exactly. In, okay. In the US. So I'm, I'm interested. So if, um, we don't just spend all the time on, on Germany, even though it's interesting. It's very but, interesting because, uh, well, we, it's the same. But the interesting thing, sorry to interrupt you, but it's the same story every, every, everywhere. Mm. Uh, and we're talking about this timeline because 
uh, in Sweden we have I would say the exact same devel- uh, development but there's well there's a number of, I have a number of questions about what you just said but I no, just I'm to, gonna to, let to, you ask to, first <laughs> George maybe it relates to what what you want want want, want to ask it's 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 the so if you shift the perspective away from fake news towards the um, problems of, of of media how they cover things like the Clinton campaign or climate change or globalization or TTIP or uh, the war in the Ukraine. So there are several key, a lot of key issues where yeah. where you feel that something is, um, in a way, there's a big difference between how a lot of people perceive what's going on through social media or through the internet and how the media is covering it. And I'm interested in... I mean, it was always like that. I think there's always a system aspect to yeah. to to press. I mean, to to which is part of the job to uphold the system in, in a, an objective way to further democracy. Um, do you do you feel sort of that that has become just apparent, or or, or sort of that, that that's happening, or that there's a hysteria that this is a an agreement to sort of. Um, prevent truth from coming out and then arguably there is some truth that's prevented from coming out so and that's that makes it difficult mm-hmm. so TTIP is an undemocratic um, trade regime so if, and, and it wasn't covered as such it wasn't right. somehow I, w- I would argue but um, but or is it is it just sort of or, or is there a reinforcing aspect that that through the threat of social media and the internet sort of media maybe not, not only in Germany sort of, is sort of clinging more towards uh, established truths like um, yeah the West exists as an idea so mm-hmm. we need to defend ideas John McCain was the hero of the ideas of the West what is the West so, mm-hmm. so stuff like so I'm, I'm curious about that that this so if this this dissonance it's sometimes in the way that the, that the media is, is telling us the story of, of, of our present yeah yeah Well, um, here's one way, one way to think about that is um, journalists in the U.S. and Germany were, and other places were able to take for granted for a very long time that if they are reporting on what the political lead is doing with accuracy and insight, then they are serving the public. If you are reporting on what the elite is doing, you are serving the public. You're doing your job. But... What happens when the governing elite is itself losing respect and people are losing trust and confidence in it? Then if you continue to do the kind of journalism you've been doing, you're actually going to become part of that disconnect with the elite. And I don't think journalists in Germany have quite realize that or maybe maybe they know it but they aren't acting on it or they're 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 like no they don't they're, know they're slow to react yeah. to it um so so that's one answer another answer is this critique you're part of the system has its paranoid version that's what we were talking about earlier right mm. there's a paranoid version of it a, an extreme version of conspiracy theory merkel calls you up and tells you what to print but then there's also a much more reasonable version of it that a lot of the the solid citizens of Germany who are also the core constituency of the German press they have a lot of questions about how things have been covered um, and and that I think 
is something where the where journalists in Germany are starting to awaken to that, starting to see some um, some experiments that kind of move in that direction. Um, but that is a a very difficult um, thing to get the profession as a whole to focus on. And part of the reason this is happening is that the internet allows for alternative views and explanations and information to come through in a way that prior to, let's say, 2004 just wasn't a factor. One of the things that, while I was here, I, I started recalling, like I, I went back to an episode that I thought I knew very well. Maybe you'll remember this. In 2004, Bush ran against Kerry in the United States. Bush won. In that campaign, there was a group called the Swift Boat Veterans for yeah. Truth who claimed to have a story about John Kerry that showed that not only was he not a war hero, but he didn't deserve his medals and he kind of cheated to mm. get them. Mm. Right? Which, of course, would be the end of a presidential candidate mm. if it was true. Journalists looked at that story, looked at the proof, and decided this is really nothing. This is not. This is not. Um, this is not fair, and uh, and it's not a solid story. In the past, that would have been the end of it. If the if the press didn't write about it, it didn't exist in the campaign. But in two thousand and four, it did get injected into the plane campaign, despite the fact that the journalists regarded that as unproven, unreliable, and probably fake, false. That was the first sign <laughs> that, um, that there's this other thing here that is not replacing journalism, but is certainly changing the equation. Mm. And I was, kept thinking about that um, moment in 2004 in the United States, here, because German journalists, are, are, it seems like they're just waking up to this now, right? That there, there's another way that things can get into the political sphere that, that goes around us. And that is a very difficult thing to know how to fight against. Yes, it is. And I, I, I wanted to continue... Uh, talking about that because the way I think about it and the way you describe it is that there's no well what we've had the last decades until a few years ago was the situation where journalists mass media could curate the yeah. public discourse so yeah. what journalists decided was important uh, became important and now that has all collapsed it's, Correct. Just, it's not working like that anymore so, but the problem that occurs is something that you're uh, touching upon when um, you have a situation where, as you say, you have alternative information systems or what did you call it? Information, media... A counter-public sphere. Counter-public spheres. And the, but th these counter-spheres are not... Neutral. They are also in many countries um, driven by a wish to to actively undermine yes. journalism itself. That's right. So what happens is that journalists and media companies become uh, not only are they <laughs> losing um, 
the ability to curate the conversation, they are also themselves target. Correct. Political targets. That's right. And how do you deal with that? How because one way of dealing with it is, as you say, you cling to your to what you used to do. Another way of dealing with it uh, is appeasement. Basically, you say, "Well, this is apparently this, this is apparently what yeah. you know where the energy is, or what people are talking about." So let's only report about I don't know cultural wars or refugees, refugees right. or uh, hate. I don't know. I mean uh, these things that get big on social media basically what should you how should you deal with that as a i think that's what that's very very difficult and it is yeah um well would you agree with the uh, description uh, to start with i would but i would add something to it it's not just that journalists have lost the gatekeeping power they they don't really curate the public sphere anymore and they are under attack. Hmm. But it's also that right-wing populism incorporates a media strategy, and the strategy is to not only discredit the press, but to use the controversy and the anger that surrounds that hmm. to mobilize people. Uh, and so, for example, um, in, in the U.S., Trump, not only does he defy the fact-checkers, but the fact that the fact-checkers are continually saying you're lying is something he uses to persuade his supporters, see, they're trying to bring mm. me down because they disrespect you. Mm. So it's not just that they're under attack, it's that attacking the media is a part of the political strategy by which right-wing populism tries to mobilize uh, sentiment on its behalf under the banner of attacking the elites. So... Oh, during my stay in Germany, um, I many times got into conversations with German journalists along these lines where they say, we know that by reporting on AFD, we are in some way contributing to the momentum and the, and the rise of that movement. But what can we do? We have to report what's happening. We can't abandon our, our mission and all of a sudden decide that this isn't happening. Yeah. It's not our job to overturn the re election results. They would say things like that. Mm. Um, and, and so the more I thought about it, the more I, I realized, what, well, this is actually touching on journalistic imagination. That, mm. that is where the problem can be solved, if it can be solved. It's a, it's a challenge to journalistic imagination. And it's and when I say imagination, it's not just the kind where you imagine like a great story. It's, you have to imagine a different role for yourself. So here's an example of where I thought journalistic imagination actually came through. A couple weeks ago, ZDF, one of the major networks here, interviewed the AFD leader. And they asked him about everything except refugees. Mm. So they were covering this right-wing populist movement. They were interviewing its leader. They were giving um, the party a platform. Um, but they were asking very practical questions like, what would you do about this issue? What would you do about that issue? And self-consciously refusing to uh, ask about their issues, which was partly a decision 
to not let the right-wing populace frame the debate, to take back the power to frame the debate. Now that, I thought, was a creative solution. It's not the answer to right-wing populism, it's not the answer to anything, it's just showing what I mean by imagination. And maybe right-wing populism is not a problem for journalism to solve. It isn't, but covering it is. It is, it is. Figuring out how to cover it is a problem. Can I just ask one follow-up question? Uh, (laughs) Of course. No, I'm I'm interested also because there are also economic aspects to this. Totally. Which are interesting. I mean, the business model of journalism is not really working anymore, but also the fact that what has been working in this new public sphere, in this social media, um, the rise of social media, is also a certain t- type of con- content which is overlapping with this uh, anger-driven um, um, political discourse that the right-wing populists want. This is my belief anyway. So there's also this situation where, I mean, journalists, they want to be successful. They want yeah. to write things that reach a lot of people. And what yeah. is it that works in social media? It's not yeah. only the things that we talked about. It's also the economics of it and the the fact that this uh, certain types of issues, cu- culturally explosive issues, migration, what have you, that has really worked in yes. social media. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, in the U.S., the... The way this unfolded in 2016 was um, Donald Trump was in many ways a competitor to the news media. I I saw him during the campaign as as almost like a programmer himself. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And he had a hit show, the Trump show. He controlled it. Yeah. And it was more potent at generating attention and viewers and ratings than what the journalists at the major networks could offer. And so in a way, Trump substituted himself for them uh, as programming that the owners wanted on their networks. Uh, And yet... The way the journalists at the networks were thinking about him was as a candidate, a story to cover. Um, And so that was like a real challenge to press things. So they should have to treat him as a competitor? Um, In a way. What does that mean? Well, it means um, uh, he has his own platform. Yeah, but what does it mean to cover him as a competitor? Well, I don't know if he... If you can cover him that way, I'm just saying that you have to think think about him. Yes, you have to think about him as a competing media company Mm. that um, is trying to drive you out of business. That's a good question. So you would not... Why would you 
take up the uh, competitor's message on your platform all the time? Why would you give him exactly. space right. all the time to um, right. destroy why, your Why do you platform? <laughs> your <laughs> business model. Your business model, yeah, yeah in, in, in the course. Um, so, so that would have, I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's the two mil billion dollars of uh, that, that, exactly. that um, he, he was worth. And, and the one mistake time. that Jeff Zucker will admit to making, the president of CNN, yeah. in coverage of 2016. That's a two billion number, I guess, of so two billion dollars. Uh, two billion dollars worth of free publicity. Yeah. That was a New York Times calculation. Yeah. But Jeff Zucker's one mistake that he will admit to was carrying too many of Trump's rallies live. Yeah. But that's an example. But that's their business model again. So if it's their business model, they sort of they gain money by that. So if they have it's very short term. <coughs> it's a very short term. It is to, indeed. You know, make that kind of money and then to so I it's mean, overall but then losing so not only the, the relationship model. with the with the with your viewers to another entity. If that's the cost, then yeah. it's a bad deal anyway. If but they hadn't run. Live his rallies and instead reported on what happened in them, they literally would have been a difference in the bottom line for that year. I find that very hard mm. to believe. Mm. I'm interested in um, sort of the, the the what you said about the the way that so the, the the way democracy works worked works is connected to the way the media works worked. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we have to talk about it in the past. So it's an open question: what was first of so what what was the threat of social so of the, the internet how the internet uh, and the uh, counter public sphere sort of challenged the existing public sphere but but uh, or or sort of or if that 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 crisis sort of just reinforced itself from from some contradictions within the democratic system I mean that that's you can you can argue about that as well so with the stagnation of wages so it's a more economic or systemic problem that that was reinforced by social media maybe but um, Nico Mello the other day said um, in a very harsh way there is no public anymore mm. um, which I, I think was very dark Nico Mello the Shorenstein Center head of Shorenstein Center of Harvard University um, who who's a voice in who's an optimistic voice? I used guess. to be used to be an optimistic voice about um, a lot of things that, that have to do with the social media, internet, and and, and the emancipatory potential and politics. Mm. And, politics. And, and that's the darkest thing you can say because it changes everything. And basically, he said there's no way to if there's no public, and if so, if you look at the problems of, of media. It's just mm. one part of the more essential mm -hmm. problem of, of of the crisis of democracy. Um, mm -hmm. How do, how do you is view true? that? Is, is, <laughs> a, is it true? B, what's the, the way out of that? Or what does it mean for, for everybody? So we're not talking <laughs> about journalism here. So journalism is always often treated as a professional problem, but it's, yeah. it's basically not. It's a societal problem, a yeah. reflection of, on, of that, I guess. I think we have to start grappling with and facing the truth of the, the rise of what some people call illiberal democracy. Illiberal democracy is you know, elected governments or, or leaders who've been elected whose program is to undermine liberal democracy. And Which is the public sphere. Yeah. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. And they, they are generating political traction by attacking the institutions of the public sphere. This is a major part of Trump's uh, political program. He attacks the major institutions of democracy. The press is one, but it's by far not the only one. He attacks the judicial system. 
Um, that's what the attacks on the special counsel are, mm. are about. He attacks elections. He says they're fixed. They're fake. Right? Um, he attacks uh, social science. He said uh, he attacks the diplomatic corps. His political opponents. His, his political opponents are not just wrong. They're corrupt. Mm. Right? They're dangerous. Um, and so he attacks the norms of democracy. And by doing that, he excites his supporters, he generates a lot of pushback and controversy, and the controversy convinces his supporters that he's on the right track. And he is able to portray himself uh, as a victim, which is uh, also something AFD does. Um, and that's a very disorienting thing, the most powerful man in the world as a victim. Um, so, so I think... We, we have to start seeing... And social media is made for him, basically. Yes, that's part of it, for sure. Um, I have to, we, we have to start seeing democracy as, um, as eroding and as being eroded by political leaders who are themselves supported by the voters. So that, so that, in a way, is, people, is part of the public is exiting from the public. Yeah, but Nico Miller's statement, I guess, was grounded in the notion that what's destroying the idea of the public is what used to be sort of the um, beacon of hope for reinventing democracy, the internet. Yeah. So, uh, isn't, isn't it isn't just what you described um, a symptom of something more profound? Because there It's also a driver. Or Both the, a symptom yeah. and a driver, but sort of the underlying That's technological challenge for yeah. democracy is that there is this uh, atomization or, or reconfiguration in certain less controlled parts of the internet, or sort of and, and, and reinforcing, just just distorting the way democracy works because the, the 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 angry minority has all of a sudden this huge voice, yeah, like hundred people with the Hitler salute in a small hotel room in Washington D.C. is all of a sudden big news. Really, why? I mean, what does it do to the way you see sort of what's happening? So it distorts the, the importance of mm -hmm. a lot of events, and that that's all technology-driven. So this technology, um, which used to be the hope, the optimism of, of our days, is, it clearly is a major problem. But but does it have to be? Is is that the world we we enter? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I'll, I'll tell it's you a million question, one I guess, way I think about this. Um, it's, it's the revenge of the trolls, in a way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and during this period, since, since 2016, um, I've been thinking a lot about how earlier in the, in the rise of the Internet, during the early 2000s, with the, uh, the first, you know, the rush of blogging and then social media, which I was very interested in, participated in, wrote about, um, to some degree celebrated as, as a thing that would make journalism more uh, participatory. Which Citizen I, journalism. Yes, I yeah. wrote about that. Um, uh, you can find in my blog many um, posts about all of these things. Um, and, I, and I used to um, say and think that one of the great things the Internet was doing was the falling cost for like-minded people to find each other, realize how many of them they were, find champions for their cause, and a place to talk about it, right? Um, and that That's is one of the great things about the internet. So if you find out that you have a rare disease tomorrow and your doctor tells you about it, 
you can go on the internet and you can instantly find other people who have this rare disease. You can you can uh, get information that you couldn't get uh, from your doctor. You can get you can be empowered to question the treatment you're receiving. Right? You can get solidarity and and uh, comfort from other people who are in the same situation. That's amazing. That's the falling cost for like-minded people to find each other. But now. I'm able to see something I should have before, which is that there's a very deep dark side to that same power. And that the falling cost for like-minded people who hate you to find each other and get together, realize how many of them there are, publish themselves, create their own information loop, is staggering. And that is, right now, on the ascendance and that's what I mean by the revenge of the trolls. The trolls are winning. I agree with that. And it's interesting because um, I um, interviewed Jochai Benkler at yeah. um, Harvard Law School the, um, last year. And he said, well, he's also been writing about the Internet, of course, for a long time. And the deep thinker about uh, social networks. And he said, well, it really turned out exactly the way we thought. We just, I, uh, it's just I did not expect you know, the angry, hateful people to be the voices, you know, that would rise to the, um, mm -hmm. to, to be heard all, all of a sudden. I in fr saw in front of me, you know, this other disenfranchised right. <laughs> minorities. I think I'm saying the same thing. I think you're say, saying yeah. the same thing. But the other, isn't there another part to that story that the, uh, the ecosystem that we're now living with, with Facebook and the... Uh, these huge platform companies and the way their uh, the advertising model works and the way the attention economy is constructed it also it's not neutral no, it's not also driving certain types of behavior certain type types of um, emo I mean it's an, it, it drives strong emotions and it fits there for uh, political ideas that are, are feeds on strong emotions anger yes. hatred what yes. have you so it's not only the disenfranchised now get a chance, it's also the, this, I don't know, um, machine feeding the anger. Totally. And not only are the platforms caught in this system they created where they're, they're assisting that, um, it's also their business model, but they have no resources for yeah. reforming themselves and, and thinking about these kinds of problems. There's no department yeah. that's, that's uh, in, in any of those companies that's, that's responsible for that. And, and you have people who are very overwhelmed by their own machine mm. trying to like solve these problems that they're not capable of solving mm. at all. And especially with Facebook, but with other platforms too. They've grown, they've grown to the point where not even the people who created them really know what's going on on them. Uh, and, and that makes that problem incredibly difficult to solve. So that's part of it. Another part of it is that the platforms have in many ways taken ownership of the responsibility... Sorry, let me back up. The platforms have taken ownership of the relationship between yeah. the users of news <coughs> and the publishers of news. It's almost like a third party has gotten in between journalists and the public. Mm -hmm. uh, and this third party doesn't care about the and health of... And it weakens the relationship. Yeah, it right? weakens the relationship and it doesn't care about the health of the public sphere. It doesn't know that much about it. Like, here's a little story for you. 
when Twitter came up with Twitter Moments, um, which was a product innovation, I felt that day was the day they passed into being an editorial company mm. because they hired journalists to put together these summaries of stories, yeah. which was curating and editing and headlining, and, and they hired journalists because that's what the action was. So I happened to have been booked to interview the head of news at Twitter right when this was happening in New York. And I asked him, you are now an editorial company. What is your editorial philosophy? Where, and where are you going to get an editorial culture from? Because you've been a technology company. You had the culture of a technology company. How are you going to... What kind of content is important and why? Yes. Yeah. 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 And, the... and, and how, we do, how do we make those kinds of decisions? Mm -hmm. And what values do we put into those decisions? And so here you are. Now, today, you're an editorial company. Where are you going to get your editorial values and principles from? Mm -hmm. He didn't understand the question. Mm -hmm. I wrote about it. He literally didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. Like, from his point of view, what, what's the problem? We're going to hire journalists. Mm -hmm. That's it. They do their job. Yeah, yeah, we just let them do their job. Yeah, and and that would sort of solve it. And that's like a little microcosm of this larger problem, where these platforms are now shaping the public sphere as well as the possibilities of journalism, but they have no resources for doing that. They don't. It's not part of their culture. It's not part of their training. Mm -hmm. They don't have expertise in it. And what's the way out of that? I mean, that's a long discussion. Is Facebook a, a, a media company or a public Right now, company? I don't have one. But sort of the, the spectacle of uh, Zuckerberg in front of uh, House and Congress was, sort of, as you described, was uh, disheartening because the politi politicians didn't understand what to ask. No. And he said, basically, you should trust me to do, deal with the stuff that I don't understand either, but uh, we'll figure something out. And in the, in the process... Uh, um, and, and, and politicians tended, I think, and to, to agree. And I'm sorry, but I think so. Um, people thought, okay, well, I guess it's better if we let them deal with our with their problems, which are our problems. And obviously, they don't want to do that. They won't do that. Why would Why would you trust somebody uh, who's 34 years old and has no reason? No, no reason. So, if, um, and and you said <laughs> responsibility. Not to be took it back. here, but. <laughs> Was so young, yeah. So if you, you, the responsibility slipped in, yeah. So of that wishful thinking. So so how do you, how can you rec reclaim responsibility for what people do? We talked today, so on a different occasion about the financial crisis. Nobody went to prison, yeah. During that, so if, do do people need to go? I mean, what's the? How, <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying. How many I'm, and who? I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's okay, but she'll go to prison. But so how do you reclaim responsibility as a society, sort of agency in in, in, in this? It's a, it's a massive problem, and we keep doing this. We like we we have these massive defaults in social responsibility, and everyone kind of blames it on the system. We did it with back in the eighties in the United States. We did it with something that was called the savings and loan crisis, which nobody remembers now. It's billions of dollars of of basically fraudulent banking. Right? Who was responsible? Well, nobody really. Uh, we did it again with the Iraq War. Right? We went to war on a faulty, phony case for war. That, that's about as bad as decision-making can get in a democracy, right? It passed through the state party, it passed through CIA, the White House, Congress, and the news media, a faulty case for war. How is that possible? Who went to jail for that? Basically, nobody. Then we did it again with the financial crisis. Massive social failure, massive default of responsibility. Uh, 
Who, who went to jail for that? Who's responsible for that? Basically nobody. Journalists are saying, we did that story, you know, as if that yeah. were a response to it. So you keep piling these things up, and maybe a crisis in democracy doesn't, isn't so crazy because you had these incredible defaults in, in responsibility. Let me add one thing here. I, I believe strongly, as a critic of, um, of the American press, that our journalists took a, a wrong turn a long time ago, decades ago, way before any of this happened, where they began to focus on the professionals in politics whose job it is to win elections, people like the spin doctors, the, uh, the political strategists, the campaign managers, the pollsters, these people who, whose job it is to win became objects of fascination and that sensibility of those people became the way that journalists looked at politics. So they began to look at politics through the eyes of the professional political class whose job it is to manipulate the mm. citizenry. So I call that uh, kind of journalism savvy journalism. That's my term for it. And I believe that that was a, uh, a moment where the press broke faith with the public and began to focus on this other group of people that it, was, that it wanted to kind of like join up with. And the message of that kind of journalism, like who's going to win the western suburbs of Sydney and can the prime minister convince these uh, you know, white educated women you know, to vote? Right? That kind of coverage, which is in every democracy, teaches the citizen to identify with the manipulators of the public sphere. And I think that that was a factor in much later events like the rage against elites in the press and the way in which AFD, right-wing movements in Europe, Donald Trump was able to mobilize disgust with the media for political gain. So I'm hearing a call to, you mentioned um, journalistic imagination earlier. And this, I did. I guess that's part of the uh, um, part of the answer, or are you, are you talking about, and, and we need to um, start finishing this off, but um, thinking hard about your own relationship to your readers, to your constituency in a way, or how... What's the like? What's the golden rule for for journalists? Uh, because there is also this massive push now, as we talked about earlier, that you should write about these issues that are so burning hot in the public sphere. It's about these, you know, cultural wars. It's about things that make people super angry. How do you, that's also a threat, I think, to uh, thinking of, thinking hard about what your mission truly is. Uh, yeah. So how to? What's the best advice? for, for um, journalists to do their work so they strengthen democracy, as you said, was at least one of the pillars for, for Ger well, German journalists. I don't know if this is advice, but one, one, um, one thought I had is uh, when you're in these situations where your training, your traditions, your practices don't tell you what to do. That's a clue. 
So when you're in a situation like the ones many German journalists told me about, where we're covering what they're doing, but we know we're sort of contributing to this movement that's trying to undermine us, but we have to cover it because we can't mm. deny that it's happening, but we're participating too and we don't like that. And I don't know how to solve that. When you get in a situation like that, it's a clue. It's a clue that, you, that, that here's a place where your press think gives out and you're going to have to think harder. Mm. You're going to have to use journalistic imagination. Um, you're going to have to go maybe go outside your comfort zone, go outside journalism for answers. Um, and that is hard to do when you have to do a show today or produce a magazine uh, you know, by Monday uh, or make your deadline by 6 o'clock. So maybe it won't happen unless you set aside time for it, unless you set aside people for it. In a way, that's what your new job is, mm. right? Yeah. It's, like, it's like you're doing a job that wouldn't happen unless you devote somebody to it. Yeah. If I understand yes. the evolution of your role mm. in your company. Mm. Um, so, so it's that. It's like when, when your press think gives out and it doesn't provide you with any direction to go in, you have to really dig in at that point. And you've reached, like, that's a serious moment you've reached and you have to make something of it. And another thing I would say is that for a very long time, journalists could take their relationship with the public for granted. That's an easy, easy way of saying it. And now, for reasons that I think you understand very well, the users have more power. They have more power. They have more power because they have more choice, because the media system is two-way, um, because they can exit from the whole news system if they want to, and there are powerful political movements that are enticing them to do that. Um, they have more power because they can get together and complain about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and in any relationship where one person gains more power, it changes the relationship. And I think a lot of what we're trying to figure out in journalism these days, on both sides of the Atlantic, is what does that change relationship really look like? Uh, and I enjoyed coming to Germany and sort of visiting that problem here. I'd love to come to Sweden and yes. visit it there as well. Get you. All is fine. Sweden, I don't have a fellowship, but uh, <laughs> um, you're more than welcome. It would be, uh, would be, it would be great. So I think that's a good place to end. Yeah, it sounds like a story from uh, Joseph Heller, Catch-22. I guess that's uh, <laughs> the way that the media situation is at the moment. Uh, whatever you do, you know, you're doomed. No, mm. but that, that's not. That was not what it was. It was to. But uh, it no, was for a while, if, you're, if you refuse to acknowledge that confusion, sort of uh, as as the reality. That no, you, you have that to think facing, about. You think you need to think hard about you what it means today to be a journalist, and maybe it's not the same as yesterday. Yeah, you have to break that logic. Yeah. You have to break some logic, so to cover something and to reinforce it. Yeah, that is. You have to you break some logic. I like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The way I think of it is, we have a lot of unsolved problems in journalism now. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so unsolved. We'll revisit you uh, in New York. Uh, to, or in Stockholm. Or in Stockholm to talk about those um, unresolved problems. And uh, so far, take it from here. Thank you. All right. Thank you, so Thank much. you for doing this.